You're listening to the Forever on the Fly podcast. What up, aviation nerds? Thanks for joining us today on the Forever on the Fly podcast, getting you guys hooked Hooked on on aviation. Episode number one. My name is Diane. I'm your host, and I've got my co-host, Jose, here. What's up, everybody? Yeah, we have a very special guest for you today. He's a helicopter and airplane pilot with over 26 years of flying experience. The dude's worked on over 100 projects as a TV and film production pilot, along with having worked in pretty much every facet of the helicopter industry you can think of, from utility to charter work. But more recently, what's made me his numero uno fangirl is his work as Red Bull's aerobatic helicopter pilot flying the BO-105. He's here to talk about some of his favorite projects and delve into what it takes to become a production pilot and, of course, what he's been up to with Red Bull lately. Let's bring him out. Heck yeah. Aaron Fitzgerald. We call that the factory of bad ideas. Hi, I'm Aaron Fitzgerald, and I'm forever on the fly. Thanks for having me, you guys. Huge honor to be here. (laughs) You got it. Our first guest is so exciting. Yeah, Thank you. Uh, I'm trying to set a high standard as the first guest, but it's good you started low and you're going to work your way up to a great climax. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Set, setting the bar. Set, oh, I, think we're setting, <laughs> I think we're setting the bar pretty high. Your reputation. <laughs> you. Yeah, Aaron, gosh, um, I discovered you back in 2018 through Instagram. I saw this crazy video of you doing a backflip in the, in the Red Bull helicopter and I just immediately fell in love. <laughs> we all know you're talking about the helicopter. I fell in love with it too. I knew about the helicopter long before I ever got to fly it. So I, I share that sentiment. It's a, it's an amazing machine and I'm a really lucky guy that I get to be the one who flies it here in America. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You're one of how many guys that, that flies for Red Bull helicopter way? Uh, Red Bull has five aerobatic pilots. Uh, there are two Austrians, one German, one Italian and me. Pretty sure that makes five. But uh, yeah, I'm the I'm the only American. But they're all great great guys. I get to fly with all five of them on various occasions around the world. Sometimes they come here. Sometimes I go to Austria and Slovenia and fly with them. And it's a great team to be on. It's a huge honor, and I don't take one second of it for granted. That's for sure. Heck yeah, that is a huge honor, and of course you deserve it. And other than being uh, one of the world's best helicopter pilots out there doing backflips and unimaginable aerobatics in this machine, you also have a production company? That's correct. Yeah, that's primarily how I make my living is in film and television support. So I work as an aerial coordinator and a, uh, and a film pilot and sometimes on-camera stunt flying as well. But primarily it's, it's aerial coordination. So uh, I, my little company just provides aerial production services for for different clients, whether it's a studio or a small TV show or a company making a car commercial or something like that, we provide the, the aerial assets and the crews. And it's been a really fun ride. It's a fun way to make a living, and I love every minute of it. Yeah, and honestly, I don't think I've ever met a production pilot that didn't completely love and enjoy what they do. So that's amazing that you were able to carve that path for yourself. But, I mean, you've been doing this for years, and I'm sure you've done a million projects, but... 
what was your favorite? Like what was a project that really sticks out in your mind as uh, something you're really proud of? There have been a lot of highlights and I, it's, it's kind of like picking your favorite kid. You know, I might have one, but I'm never going to tell you who it is. Um, just kidding. <laughs> I, think I, know which one. just kidding. I don't have a favorite kid. Son. I have three sons and I love all of them equally at various times. Uh, but no, the projects are the same way. I like uh, a lot of the stuff I've done has been uh, what I consider kind of an achievement, something that was really stressful to pull off, but that worked out well in the end. And I'm proud of it looking back, but it wasn't necessarily as much fun. It was more work and more stress with a big payoff. And then I have, you know, uh, uh, on my list of stuff that I've been lucky enough to get to do, I have things like I went to uh, the Bermuda for a month and a half and then flew over the race course for the America's Cup racing. So that was spectacular. Mm -hmm. Not really an accomplishment, just like an extraordinarily fortunate opportunity that I was uh, presented with. So I got to go do that. So there's a lot of different projects that are my favorites uh, for various reasons. But if I had to pick one uh, that I would kind of not necessarily hang my hat on, but one that I'm very proud of, uh, it would be the Heaven Sent Project. And that's the one where my good friend, the uh, skydiver Luke Aikens, jumped from 25,000 feet with no parachute uh, and landed in a net. So he was the first one to intentionally skydive with no parachute. And the, the project involved us working out all the ways to, to make that safe. You know, 95% uh, of it was Luke and his skill and his, uh, you know, his idea of how to do it. But the rest of it was the stuff that, that we all got to work on. I was the aerial coordinator for that. So I was tasked with, you know, clearing the airspace, getting approval from the FAA. And then, we, and then I got the lucky job of testing the net. So we built a, a sled, basically. It looked like a, an upside down umbrella with weights on the, on the spindle. Uh, and it was engineered to be his exact surface area uh, and his exact body weight. So we used that sled and dropped it into the net from various altitudes and hit different points of the net and, and, and whatnot. So I got to fly over the, uh, over the net in a 500 from altitudes all the way up to 1,100 feet to get this, this test sled to terminal velocity before it hit the net. So I got to be a bomber pilot. It was super fun. Really, really challenging. That's a very hard thing to do wow. if you tried it. Uh, but yeah, it, it was, that was cool. And then the, you know, just the, the evolution of, of, of developing and testing and proving all the systems that we had. And then of course the stress of the day of the jump, you know, with Luke's life on the line, he had to perform perfectly. And there was no, there was no backup. He had no parachute. There was no way the other jumpers could have helped him. Once he left the, the plane, it was his life on the line and he performed it to a, a level of perfection that was unheard of. I, I believe that that was the, the greatest human stunt ever performed. I'm a little biased because I was on it from start to finish, <laughs> yeah. but, and he's oh, my good friend. But I mean, I would, I would put no, that up against anything. That's how, absolutely how, wild. How did that like come up as far as like that project? Uh, did he like, were you guys just drinking beer one day? And then he out of 25,000 feet or that's like, how most of our projects start. Yeah. We call, we call that the factory of bad ideas. And there's usually like a beach or a swimming pool and some beers and maybe some whiskey. And uh, we come up with, what if we did this? Or do you think it's possible to do that? But that particular idea came from uh, another group of guys and they brought it to Luke and said, this is what we want to do. Uh, and their initial concept of it was was interesting, but not the one that we went with in the end. So uh, yeah. the, all the all the uh, the execution of the stunt was Luke and his team. There was a great stunt coordinator, two of them uh, named Jeff Haberstad and, and Jim Churchman. And those two guys were kind of the masterminds who made it all work. But it was mostly wow. Luke's product, but project. But it wasn't it wasn't his idea. Someone had come to him oh, and gotcha. said, do you, do you think you can do this? Were you like uh, the day of the jump? Were you a little nervous or your adrenaline was pumping? But like, 
when you oh, when it was happening. Sure. You know what I mean? Like that's pretty surreal to see something like that. And yeah, there was the most stressful moment was when I left my house that morning. I was I was in the driveway saying goodbye to my wife. She was going to come uh, to the to the to the site, and she was going to be there with my kids and with Luke's son, and every all the families were all there. Uh, so leaving the house in the morning, I knew that everything was going to be different when I got home, whether it worked or didn't work. It was going to, this was, this was a life changing day that I'm never going to forget. So I got not necessarily emotional, but I definitely felt all the stress of the situation at that moment. But, but then we flew to the site out in Simi Valley in the jump plane. I went and jumped in with Dave Kaiser and rode out there. And, uh, as soon as I got in an aircraft, then I was like, okay, time to go to work. And then we got there and I, I was during the jump. I was flying the uh, the high camera helicopter, so I was around sixty five hundred feet when he went by me, and then we descended as fast as we could to kind of be there and and, uh, and get the shot of him going into the net as well. So uh, uh, during the jump, I was busy. I didn't really have time to be stressed out. We were trying to hit all the radio protocols and everything we had worked out. It was a yeah. kind of a complicated system that we we were managing to make sure everything went well for the live broadcast and everything else. Uh, so no time to be stressed there, but. Yeah, that yeah. moment in the driveway, that was that was it. <laughs> and then after he hit the net, I carefully moved the microphone away from my mouth on my headset and went, ah! <laughs> I was so happy. It was such a relief, yeah. you know? I didn't have I to bet. watch my friend die. Uh, and then an interesting side note, what was pretty funny is um, we had uh, a very complicated and strict radio protocol. Everything we transmitted in the three aircraft, there were two helicopters and then the jump plane. Actually, there were four aircraft because there was a camera airplane up high. But we had, speaking of airplanes, <laughs> but we had, yeah, we had a, a scripted radio protocol that we were following because everything we said on the radio was being broadcast live on TV. So we had to be careful what we said, what we revealed. So most of what we were saying was, was kind of code for each other. And if, you know, if we announced that the, the trap was green or the trap was ready, that meant two different things, but to the listeners at home, it meant the same thing, things like that. So we had worked out every single aspect of the communication except for one thing. And that's the jump pilot who was at 25,000 feet was the only guy in the whole system that didn't have access to the comms with all the broadcasts and everything else. His only communication was with me in the lower helicopter. And we didn't write anything into the protocol for what to do after Luke hit the net. So he was on, on frequency with center. And then the frequency that I was using to talk to him went dead. Cause at that point I turned and started talking to everybody on the ground about how to get the shots of everybody celebrating. So poor Dave was up there at 25,000 feet, lifelong friend of Luke Aikens and his whole family <laughs> was up there all by himself going, I wonder if it worked out. I wonder if he hit the net or he didn't hurt. The- oh and he was just God. dead radio silence on that frequency. He had to ask the controllers at LA center. Hey, are you guys watching this thing on TV? How did it turn out? I saw him later in the bar that night. He was not happy with me. So yeah, that was the biggest mistake I made that day. And also one of the funniest anecdotes about uh, how it all went down. It makes for a great story later, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's probably not, very different from Dave's perspective than it is from mine. Not cu- quite yeah, as funny. I'm sure. I'm sure you owed him a couple after that one. Uh, yeah, I still do. <laughs> is that why you started distilling whiskey and vodka? So you can yeah, cause I couldn't keep up. buy him I, I couldn't buy him enough beer. Alcohol. I had to switch to whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, talk about a hold my beer moment for Luke there. I mean, stepping out on uh, of an airplane without a parachute at 25,000 feet. Oh my gosh. I couldn't even imagine that's so nerve wracking. Like I'm sweating just thinking about it. Um, but, um, that was freaking cool. Thank you so much for sharing that story. 
And one thing that I would really like to touch on before we run out of time here is uh, you are a SAG pilot uh, flying production for movies and television, uh, which is actually, uh, I hear, really hard to get into. But if there's any aspiring pilots out there that want to do that type of flying, what kind of advice would you be able to give them? What are the steps that they would have to take in order to do what you do? Uh, well, it, it's a ton of fun flying production. When you say SAG work, of course, we're talking about the Screen Actors Guild, which is the the union that represents all the actors uh, who perform on television and movies and everything else. And a small division of that is the stunt department, and that's where helicopter pilots fall under. So the work that we do on camera, whether we're working on a big project as the camera ship or whether we're flying on camera as a stunt ship, that all falls under uh, SAG, Screen Actors Guild. So that's what we're talking about here. And then uh, to dig a little deeper into it, as you said it's uh it's a pretty small group there's there's five or six guys who are doing most of the movie work in the world um so i'm, I'm kind of on the outside edge of that i get to do a lot of movie work i don't claim to be one of the top guys but i'm definitely one of the lucky ones who's in the group uh and uh i've had a lot of mentors and help along the way to help me get into it it's very very hard to to break into uh because the the big projects have huge budgets and they don't there's no real way to take a chance on a new person. They have to use proven people in every position, whether it's the helicopter pilot or the DP, or whether it's you know anyone working on the set, stunt people, actors, they, they wanna to try to get somebody who they know will deliver and it isn't a risk. So it takes a long time to get to that trusted level at the very top. And it takes uh, a, a long career of working with people and showing that you're trustworthy and you work hard and you're easy to get along with and all that. You know, the, the talent of flying the helicopter is very important, sure. Uh, but it's a small part of the whole package. You know, you, you have to be a hard worker and someone who's easy to get along with, someone they, is, they know is reliable when there's a lot of money on the line or when there's lives on the line. If it's a dangerous stunt, you need to, they need to know that you're going to perform under pressure. So it's, it's important to be a really good pilot. Certainly work on your skills there. Um, and, and if someone wanted to get into it, I would say that it's almost impossible to kind of bulldoze your way in with pure ambition. You need help. You need to make friends along the way and, and work under people that are kind of established in the business. That's certainly what I did. Uh, I've been really lucky that, uh, that throughout my career, I've, I've gotten to work with some of the biggest names in the business and, uh, currently teamed up with who I think is the best in the business, Kevin LaRosa Jr. And, uh, he and Alex Anduze and I have done a bunch of big projects together lately. And I feel like we're really moving in the right direction and working on some really great projects. And it feels amazing after many, many years of doing all kinds of stuff that I was more proud of some projects than other projects. Now I'm happy to say that I'm working <laughs> on stuff that I'm, I'm really proud of. And I, and I feel like I'm on the best team in the business. And I feel really lucky about that. Yeah. I mean, like not so much luck, man. Like you, you worked your butt off, you put yourself in front of the right people you were kind to the right people, you made good impressions. And that's super important. And we're probably going to talk about that here in a little bit as well. Um, just the value of making friends in the industry that you want to work in. Now, how important would you say that location is? So obviously, you want to set yourself in a city that has a high number of production jobs where uh, people like you are actually working and doing these jobs. Los Angeles and New York are probably the two uh, 
centers of the production world. It's possible to build a good career outside of Los Angeles and New York, but it's, it's a bit harder. Uh, there's one guy who comes to mind who's really, really good. His name is Michael Frank, and he's based out of Chicago, and he works as, as much as anybody and does tremendous work, and he's outstanding, and he's never lived in Los Angeles. So you don't have to live here, but it does, it does help to be kind of close to the center of it all. You know, Aaron, it's funny, a uh, little side note. Um, when I was in LA Helicopters, I first met you there. You were buying, I remember. Shirts, for you. You were buying shirts for your kids. And yeah, you were like, yeah. yeah, man, LA, LA Helicopters always has the best gear. And I saw you land with the Red Bull helicopter, and I was like, man, how do I get there? And you're like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to be the Univision pilot, and I want to work for Telemundo or Univision out in L.A. And you're like, hey, man, you just got to keep grinding. Looks like you got a good head on your shoulders and keep doing what you're doing. Sure enough, man, earlier this year, made my dream happen. Aguilados, you know? Yeah. I couldn't fly the, yeah, I couldn't fly the Jet Ranger, but they had me on the A-Star, and... Man, I, I thought about you that day uh, when you were talking to me out in L.A. helicopters, man. And sure enough, brother, if you just keep grinding, you do what you got to do and be nice to people, you know, it goes, well, it goes well, a long way. For sure. One of the things I say to people uh, when they say, what's, what's the secret or what's the, what's the thing I can concentrate on the most to get my career really moving? And I give the only advice I give, and I don't feel like I'm in any position to give career counseling, but, but what I say is be nicer than the other people and work harder than the other people. And it really is that simple. Uh, you know, work harder, everything falls under that. Like you have to be a very accomplished, or a very, uh, 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 confident helicopter pilot. You got to know your machine. You got to know the regs. You got to know, you got to be ahead of the game. So by work harder, I mean all that and be nicer. Just be, you know, 98% of this is hanging out, talking like we're doing right now, 2% of it's flying. So you have to be a likable person. And then to go back to our meeting, it's pretty funny. I'll tell you another little story. When I was uh, a brand new pilot and I was pumping fuel uh, at, at a FBO in Santa Monica and a guy came in and landed in a jet ranger. And what I used to do is pretty much the same thing you did is walk up and tell everybody what my ambition was and how do I help? What can I do? How do I get yeah. to where you are? Right. Which now I know is a really good way to do it because it gets everybody wanting to help you. Right. So and yeah. that guy said to me at the time. He said, oh, I can tell you're going to do fine. You're going to have a good career. I can already tell. And I asked him, I said, how, do, how could you possibly know that? I'm pumping fuel. I don't have any money. I don't know anybody. How could? He's like, I just know. I can tell. We can tell. You're going to be fine. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And then fast forward many years later to me meeting you, and you're saying, this is my goal. Remember, I was like, that's, not a, that, that's no problem. You're going to be able to do that. I can tell already. And now yeah. I know. So now when you meet young pilots, you're going to be able to go, that one is, she's going to be great. I can tell she doesn't even know it yet, but I can tell. Yeah. No, for sure. No, I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Aaron. Uh, Yeah. Just funny how everything kind of comes around, you know? It does for sure. Yeah. And you know, if you just keep plugging away, like what we were saying about production, just work at whatever's in front of you. You know, no one's going to put you on a big movie today, but do the job you have today really well be the best Univision pilot they've ever had. And they'll be yeah. sad to lose you and you'll be moving on <laughs> to the next thing. And, and at every step of the way, just push as hard as you can be a little better than the next person. That's all. I hear you. And then one day you look around and you go, Oh my gosh, I'm flying the Red Bull helicopter. And then next week I'm making a movie <laughs> with Kevin LaRosa Jr. How did this happen? This is awesome. I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking sure. of that. So you're flying the Red Bull helicopter. How did that happen? Oh, yeah. That's another one I get asked about a lot. There's no real job application process for that. They kind of come and find you, which is what happened for me. I was working sort of adjacent to 
the program because I, uh, in my capacity as an aerial coordinator, I was doing a lot of work for Red Bull filming some of their events, filming air race and the various things that they do that they needed helicopter services for. So I was kind of a known entity to Red Bull, uh, both in North America here and also on the Austrian side because I worked for the international team doing do an air race and some stuff with the formula one team, but only as a vendor, you know, just as a guy who flew camera helicopters for him, I dropped the skydivers occasionally. Uh, and then when they needed a new aerobatic pilot, then, uh, I was the guy that was nicer and had been working harder than everybody else. And I was standing there when the door opened. So I got the opportunity. Of course I said, yes. Um, and then I drove home that night thinking, what, why would I say yes to that? That's insane. Who wants to go fly a helicopter upside down? I got a good thing going. I don't need to take on all this risk. What am I? But then, you know, logic wore me down and I, I realized that these opportunities <laughs> don't come along really ever. So of course I said yes and, and made it happen. And, and now I really love aerobatics and helicopters. It's what I was doing today. Just before we started talking, I was out practicing right now. I love doing it. I'm extraordinarily lucky to be the guy that they chose and I don't take that lightly so I want to represent the brand well because they've been so great to me and I also want to represent helicopter pilots as well as I can you know at air shows we're the only helicopter really ever uh so there's all these airplanes and jets and everybody doing their thing and and I feel like I I get to represent all of us all of us helicopter people and it feels good yeah represent yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can think of no one better that I would want representing me out there. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's a, that's a compliment. That means I'm doing my job okay. Yes. No, helicopters rule. <laughs> airplanes rule. I agree. Uh, I fly so airplanes too, and I love do, airplanes. You but do I do fly airplanes. I was going to ask, um, does it, are the... I mean, obviously the aer aerodynamics are a lot different between an aerobatic airplane and an aerobatic helicopter. Does it feel mm -hmm. any different doing aerobatics in an airplane versus a helicopter? Do the G-forces feel different when you're doing different maneuvers? Yes. Uh, is that a weird question? <laughs> I don't know if I... Well, no, it's not a weird question at all, but there's so many different levels of airplane aerobatics. Yeah. You know, if you're in a... Like I own a decathlon, which is a very basic, basic aerobatic plane. So they use that to train people how to do aerobatics. It's kind of like an entry-level aerobatic plane. So it'll do all the maneuvers, but you don't pull a ton of Gs. You might pull five or six, maybe, really more like four. Uh, and then you can go negative, you know, when you're upside down, you could pull, I, I, I never push more than about two negative because it makes my eyeballs hurt, but that's the basic level. If you get up into obviously fighter jets and that, but into the performance aircraft, like the edge 540 or the extra, those guys are pulling 10, 12, 13 G's, maybe nine or 10 on the negative side. I mean, it's crazy. So oh, wow. on the, on the high performance end of the airplane aerobatics, they're night and day from what I'm doing in the helicopter, but on the lower end, like a decathlon, it's very similar. We pull about in the helicopter during the, uh, during the aerobatic display, I pull about three G's positive and just over zero on the negative or just under zero rather. So about 0.25 of a negative G momentarily, but for the most part, it's positive and it's under three G's. Nice. Would you say that um, red being on the Red Bull team has been the highlight of your career? Is that when you realize, like, wow, I, I've I've really like made it to the top of the top? Was uh, was there a moment in particular that you can recall where, you know, maybe your first barrel roll or first <laughs> <or laughs> maneuver <laughs> flipping the helicopter upside down that you just thought to yourself, "Wow, I, I can't believe I'm here." 
Well, yeah, there's been a few of those. I don't really ever feel like, oh, I'm at the top of the game. I'm, this is, this is as good as it gets. I, I, I always, maybe I'm insane, but I always have this feeling that there's more to come, that the best is ahead of me. And, and this journey has been great. Obviously, uh, you know, like I was saying earlier, earlier, you'd wake up one day and look around and go, they can't make, they let me fly the Red Bull helicopter and I get to make movies. This is so great. And uh, there were many steps and a lot of years along the way to get to that point. <clears throat> but in, in my mind, I, I feel like it's just a, it's not necessarily an upward uh, trajectory to the top. It's just the, the path I'm following. There's a, I want to do more. I want to see more. I want to, I want to accomplish more and, and see what helicopters can really do and explore the envelope and, and just find out what's out there. I, I don't, I don't feel like I'm at the top. No, to answer the question, but I will say that there has been moments where I felt just extraordinarily lucky and definitely, definitely appreciated the enormity of the situation. Uh, a couple of those were uh, one of the, the, the opportunities I got to have since I've been doing this is I got to do aerobatics in Manhattan. So I was doing loops over the Statue of Liberty and I was doing maneuvers right up to Hudson River in front of downtown and, uh, and in front of Battery Park and the World Trade Center. And while I was doing it, even while I'm going over upside down on a barrel roll, I was thinking they're never going to let me do this again. I got to just drink this in and never forget any of it. And uh, fortunately, there were a lot of photographers there and we got a whole bunch of video and pictures, so no one will ever forget it. <laughs> but, uh, but that was one where I really appreciated the enormity of the situation at the time. Another one would be Oshkosh, for instance, you know, there's 600,000 people in the crowd and you're up there flying in the same airspace that some of the most famous pilots you've ever, you know, heard of or read about or watched on TV. They performed in that same aerobatic box over that runway in front of a crowd just like that. And that, you know, that's not lost on me either. I, uh, I don't think of myself as one of those pilots, but it's certainly an honor to be, uh, you know, walking in their footsteps and do some of the things they got to do. It's really cool. Gosh, you're, you're so humble <laughs> and such a badass. And um, yeah, you, you should be super proud of yourself and always that that's amazing uh, that you're constantly reaching for, for the next thing, right? Like never stop climbing, never stop on your path and you never know what's around the corner, the next big project, the next, um, the next pinnacle of your career that you're going to have another wow moment. And I'm sure you have plenty of them ahead for you and I hope uh, so it certainly feels yeah. like there will be no no for sure I can see that in you. <laughs> oh thank you how that. do you see that in, how do you I know can, I can see that in, I can see that in your picture I can just tell I, I can just really really tell <laughs> my god you're clairvoyant as well I love it <laughs> I have been told <laughs> uh, so while you're not flipping helicopters upside down I saw, I, I didn't even know this, but the other day I saw on your Instagram that you, that you brew your own whiskey. You have your own brand. Yes. I, uh, a partner that? and I, okay. So a friend of mine, I'm a hockey player. I played hockey my whole life. And one of the guys I play hockey with, uh, was a bar manager and a, and, and a, and a bartender for many years. And he always wanted to start a distillery. He wanted to make his own whiskey. So, uh, he was talking about that ambition one night and, uh, there might've been some whiskey involved in the conversation, but at any rate, he, he convinced me that it was a great idea to start a distillery. So now he and I own a distillery together and we make uh, we make a whiskey that we're really proud of called old 49 California whiskey. Uh, and we sell a vodka as well. The vodka we like a lot and we, we sell a lot more of the vodka because 
quite frankly, it's much easier to make and we can make it in bigger volume. Uh, the vodka is called Nat Kidder Vodka. We named it after his grandpa, who was also a distiller. So it's a, it's a fun little oh. side project. Keeps me busy. Keeps me supplied in whiskey. Keeps my friends supplied in whiskey. So it's a, <laughs> it's a ton of fun. It could turn into something really financially successful. And right now it's not costing us any money. It's profitable barely, but we're, we're pushing really hard. We're the little teeny brand that's, uh, that's trying to be a big brand one day at a time. Where are you guys based out of? Uh, out the distillery's in downtown Los Angeles at 4th oh, and sweet. Mateo, right, right in the heart of downtown. Awesome. Cool. We'll have to come by for a, for a taste test someday. I'd love to try yeah, it. Yeah, well, it used to, yes, that's, that's on, and I'll bring you some too. But the, the, our distillery's in a neighborhood situated with that used to be really gritty and full of warehouses and stuff, and now it's all like uh, espresso and, and hipsters and stuff. So it's changed a lot. So, so now we're, in a, we're I mean, in a super cool neighborhood, but that's not how it started. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool for your brand too, you know, being in, in an area that's up and coming with, no, it doesn't there's hurt. Yeah. Hipsters and whiskey drinkers. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Why not? That's perfect. That's that's a great situation. They, they drink whiskey too. We all drink whiskey, right? So it's all good. <laughs> oh man. Cool. Well, we're gonna have to wrap this up here in a minute. We're running out of time. But yeah, we I was gonna circle back to our first conversation, but we kind of already touched on a lot of the advice that you gave me. Um, I randomly reached out to you on Instagram. Back in 2018, I was like, "Hi, what's up?" Slid into your DMs. <laughs> how do I? How do <laughs> no, I? Become I remember you? that you, you were living in Vegas at the time. I was you were living in Vegas. An A-star. Yeah. I was flying the Menzies uh, helicopter, um, Bryce Menzies helicopter, just doing corporate stuff for him and his dad. Um, a friend of mine, Chris Gagne, was his primary pilot, so he got to do all the fun Baja racing. Uh, yeah production filming filming stuff uh, down in Mexico which I was always super jealous of I DM'd you and I was like you know hey uh, I'm a pilot and you're super cool and how do I become you and the four things that you told me which you've already touched on was number one be nicer than any other pilot <laughs> so I think we hit I think we batted that over the head um, pretty good because um that's a big one, right? I've, I've noticed in the industry, it's all about networking and being personable and, and being kind to other, other people. It'll get you so far. Uh, number two, work harder than other pilots. You already touched on that. Three, be better at the job than any other pilots, which you already touched on pretty thoroughly of, you know, study harder, just know your shit. And uh, four, spend the next few years being a total badass helicopter pilot and make your case. So haven't heard haven't heard anything from Red Bull quite yet, but I haven't had my opportunity. They, they didn't contact me right away either. It takes a little while. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm yeah. They're watching. Exactly. Don't ever think they're not watching because they I, are. I'm at you know I'm I'm, I'm coming on like eight no going on almost nine years of flying now yeah eight eight and a half years of flying so i'm working i'm working, working my way there you know so do you ever look around and go oh my goodness i'm flying an a109 uh, for a medical team landing on the roofs of hospitals in the dead of night over the second biggest city in the world do you ever look around and go i've i've made it this is this is it can't get any cooler than this right yeah absolutely no that was like it's it's such an amazing job getting to fly organ transplants um Especially, you know, we don't really get to see the product uh, or the result of what we do because we don't get to see the patient that we're delivering these to. 
Uh, but recently someone actually found me on TikTok and it had turned out that I had delivered a set of lungs to a kid that he raised. Um, oh my goodness. Wow. I know that. And you know, I, I was in tears and I follow the the guy on Instagram. Now he, he's a 29 year old guy with, um, cystic fibrosis. And this was his mm-hmm. third double lung transplant. Wow. And, um, what a I, moment. I know I, that, and that was like a, a very, um, wow moment, very emotional, uh, for me, uh, getting to actually see the result of, of what we, so I've been able to follow his progress cause he's very um, open on social media about, um, about his journey with cystic fibrosis and having these lung transplants. So that's been one of the highlights, one of the biggest highlights of my career, I, I, I would say for sure. That should be, that'd be a life highlight. That's amazing. You should yeah. feel very proud of that. You're using your powers for good. For good. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I know I'm not um, using my helicopter flying skills for evil. Not exactly sure how I would do that, but <laughs> I, I can think of a couple ways. I've had a few <laughs> offers. You'd there be are a lot of prison breakout, very successful prison escape by helicopter uh, <laughs> that I've I've been hearing about. But awesome. So so glad that we got to got to talk to you and we're so grateful that you are here with us and um, sharing your story and sharing uh, inspiration to our listeners so thank you so much for being here like so grateful for you and your thank time. you for having me it's a huge honor I, I enjoy talking to you guys even if we're just hanging out on the ramp talking and it's fun to talk to you here on your podcast so hello no, to all your it. viewers and, and listeners and i can tell you all that you're in good hands with these guys they know what they're doing. They're good helicopter pilots. You can tell. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> but um, on a, before we go, Aaron, um, I also want to say thank you for your service. I know you were a proud member of the 82nd Airborne Division. And, I was, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say uh, thank you for your service. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Well, H- Jose was a, pa- a paratrooper as well. I think we made that connection when we first met, right? When we first Paratroopers met, yeah. find each other. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you guys just look at each other and you just are like, what's up? <laughs> I can just unspoken. Unspoken bond. Well, that's about all the time we have today, folks. Thanks for listening in. We hope you found some inspiration and insight from A.A. Ron's story. (laughs) If you enjoyed the show, go ahead, like, subscribe, hit us up on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you guys. Hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Get out there, kill it, go fly. We'll catch you next time. Later. Bye.